Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, literally Heather. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I hope that you had a fabulous weekend and you know what today is. It is AK Monday with Palmetto State Armory. Maybe you've been a little reluctant to jump in the game at full price. Well, today, as of this recording, do I have a deal for you? A Blem PS AK-47 GF3 forged classic polymer rifle is available for only $599.99. The link, as always, is in the show description. Check that out and show them some love so you can participate in AK Mondays too. The rumor mill is flying. People are scrambling to try to figure out what moves Tucker Carlson is going to make moving forward. Um, He has had at least one conversation with Elon Musk about working together. However, the former Fox News commentator and billionaire Twitter and Tesla CEO reportedly did not discuss the specifics of what such an arrangement could look like. Rumblings of their discussion comes as Carlson is teaming with allies to break his Fox contract, which currently runs through 2025 and prevents him from working with other outlets. Carlson and recently fired CNN anchor Don Lemon have both retained the same lawyer, Brian Friedman, to settle disputes with their former employers. The idea that anyone is going to silence Tucker and prevent him from speaking to his audience is beyond preposterous, Friedman said. Musk has said in the past he has voted for both Democrats and Republicans, but during the 2022 primaries, urged independent voters to lean Republican to prevent a Democrat majority. Carlson has been in contact with conservative outlets like like Newsmax and Rumble, and is also considering starting his own website to reach an audience like his predecessor, Bill O'Reilly. Carlson has been quiet publicly about his still relatively unexplained departure, so far only making brief comments to a Daily Mail reporter when he was on his golf cart, and then sharing a video on Twitter on April 26th, just after 8 p.m., his old time slot at Fox. Requests for comments from insiders sent Sunday afternoon were declined, and Tucker will land on his feet. Now, we'll all just be waiting on pins and needles to find out where. I would love to see him branch out on his own and be untethered. Anywhere that he goes, he'll have to sign a contract, and they will own him in some way, no matter how finite. And it would just be really nice to see him full tilt and uninhibited. Michigan is poised to become the 20th state and the first in nearly three years to pass a red flag law. It would allow family members, police, mental health professionals, roommates, and former dating partners to petition a judge to remove firearms from those they believe pose an imminent threat to themselves or others. The red flag measure faces pushback on the local level in a state where gun-owning culture runs deep. Over half the state's counties have passed resolutions declaring themselves Second Amendment sanctuaries, opposing laws they believe infringe on gun rights. Some sheriffs have said they will have trouble enforcing something they believe is unconstitutional. 
At the end of the day, the utmost responsibility for a sheriff is to uphold the Constitution, Van Buren County Sheriff Daniel Abbott said. Touted as the most powerful tool to stop gun violence before it happens, Um, An Associated Press analysis in September found red flag laws are barely used in the 19 states and the District of Columbia where they exist. Firearms were removed from people 15,049 times since 2020. They say barely used. I feel like that is a lot. Fewer than 10 per 100,000 adult residents, according to the analysis. It will be the first time since New Mexico in 2020 Uh, that a state has passed a red flag law, but similar legislation is being considered elsewhere as lawmakers seek solutions. The Minnesota House advanced a wide-ranging public public safety bill last month that includes a red flag law. It remains uncertain whether the provision will make it through to the conference through a conference committee. After a Nashville school shooting in March killed six people, Tennessee Governor Bill Lee calling lawmakers back into session after fellow Republicans declined to take up his temporary mental health order of protection proposal at the end of the legislative session. They concluded in April. The Biden administration has sought to foster wider use of state red flag laws and recently approved more than $200 million to help states and D.C. administer those laws and similar programs. Red flag legislation introduced following a shooting at Michigan State University, which left three students dead and five others wounded, passed the Democratic-controlled Michigan legislature last month and is expected to be signed by Gretchen Whitmer in the coming weeks. It will not take effect until next year at the earliest. A judge, here's where it gets really interesting, a judge would have 24 hours to decide on a temporary extreme risk protection order after a request is filed. If granted, the judge would then have 14 days to set a hearing during which the flagged person would have to prove that they do not pose a significant risk. This last line is fucking insane to me. No crime committed, law-abiding citizen, no due process or presumption of innocence. A standard order would last one year. Lying to a court when petitioning for a protection order would be a misdemeanor punishable by up to 93 days in jail and a $500 fine. Livingston County Sheriff Michael Murphy has already said he will not enforce the protection orders because he said they lack due process, amen, and are ripe for abuse. With 72 of Michigan's 83 counties voting Republican in the last presidential election, many sheriffs will have to choose between following the law or appeasing constituents. I, I, I disagree. The Constitution is absolute. Like, it, it supersedes any man-made law. A citizen has the right to keep and bear arms, period. And that right shall not be infringed. You cannot make a law that takes the rights of a citizen away before any crime has been committed. Ooh, this this makes me mad. <sighs> um, Local officials do have discretion as to which laws they will enforce with the resources of their office. Attorney General Dana Nessel said in a statement to the Associated Press, she added, 
that arguments against the orders are based not on the law, but on the personal whims of what they want to support. In the Upper Peninsula's Marquette County Sheriff, Greg Zybert, said that while he doesn't agree with everything in the legislation, he doesn't pick and choose what laws to enforce. It's not my place, Zybert said. That's why we have different branches of government. It, no, that is your choice. You're the executive. If it violates the Constitution, you do not have to enforce it. That's a terrible sheriff. If you are in his county, you should vote him out immediately. In Colorado, 37 counties that consider themselves sanctuaries issued just 45 surrender orders in the two years through 2021, one-fifth fewer per resident than non-sanctuary counties. New Mexico and Nevada reported only about 20 orders combined. The laws have continued to receive widespread support from the public, even with the lack of usage. An AP NORC poll in late July found 78% of U.S. adults strongly or somewhat favor red flag laws. I took the liberty of actually pulling up the study because I haven't met a single person in favor of red flag laws, but that's probably because I hang out with nothing but people who actually like the fact that we have the right to keep and bear arms. Um, and they know the abuse of such laws that are possible. Give an inch, take a mile, so to speak. Uh, this poll is conducted over the span of five days and covered 1,373 adults using a sample from NORC's probability-based AmeriSpeak panel, which apparently is designed to be representative of the U.S. population. In yet another moment where an unelected bureaucrat showcases that America is no longer by the people for the people, Janet Yellen said on Sunday, invoking the 14th Amendment to get around the debt ceiling and continuing to borrow money to pay the nation's bills would risk a constitutional crisis, downplaying the idea that the amendment would simply solve the looming problem. But she avoided ruling it out entirely. Yellen said on this week that the only way for the United States to avoid an unprecedented default as soon as next month is for Congress to pass legislation doing so. Even as the White House and congressional Democrats appear to be in a stalemate with Republicans over GOP demands to, de demands to tie steep spending cuts to raising or suspending the debt ceiling. Amid that debate, President Biden said on Friday of trying to use the 14th Amendment as a solution, I've not gotten there yet. I call bullshit. The fact that this is even being floated as an option to justify overriding Congress's control of the purse strings tells me that they're there. They're just trying to figure out how to do it without looking worse than they already do in the process. Our priority is to make sure Congress does its job, Yellen said. There's no way to protect our fin financial system and our economy other than Congress doing its job and raising the debt ceiling and enabling us to pay our bills. And we should not get to the point where we need to consider whether the president can go on issuing debt. This would be a constitutional crisis. Uh, it was Stephanopoulos who she was being interviewed by. He followed up and said, is that a hard and fast position that the president will under no circumstances invoke the 14th Amendment? And she said, all I want to say is that it's Congress's job to do this. If they fail to do it, we will have an economic and financial catastrophe that will be of our own making. And there is no action that President Biden and the U.S. Treasury can take 
to prevent that catastrophe. Yellen replied later saying, I don't want to consider emergency options. Yellen reiterated that she expects the Treasury Department to no longer be able to pay all of its obligations as soon as June 1st, a timeline that has jump-started negotiations in Washington. This would be really the first time in the history of America that we would fail to make our payments that are due, Yellen said, and whether it's defaulting on interest payments that are due on the debt or payments due for Social Security recipients or Medicare providers, we would simply not have enough cash to meet all of our obligations. Do you see that veiled threat in there? Oh, those of you who are dependent on the government, we're not going to pay you if they don't do what we say they should do. It's widely agreed that financial and economic chaos would ensue. Biden, meanwhile, says the debt should be separated from any compromise on the budget and spending. She said, I know he wants to set up a process in which spending priorities and levels are discussed and negotiated, but these negotiations should not take place with a gun, really, to the head of the American people. (laughs) That being said, right after you just held a gun to the American people. Oh, the irony of all ironies. MTV has decided to pre-tape its annual MTV Movie Awards due to the ongoing screenwriter strike. MTV's parent company, Paramount Global, made their decision on Friday to scale back the award show. Quote, as we carefully navigate how best to deliver the fan-first awards show we envisioned that our team has worked so hard to create We're pivoting away from a live event that still enables us to produce a memorable night full of exclusive sneak peeks, irreverent categories our audience has come to expect, and countless moments that will both surprise and delight as we honor the best of film and TV over the past year. In other words, without the writers, we aren't funny or entertaining, and we will not be able to do a live show that will look even remotely presentable. MTV's decision, well, and let's be honest, no one is watching these award shows anymore. The Globe, uh, or, uh, gosh, my brain just went completely blank. Uh, the Oscars, the Academy Awards, the all of those award shows, it's just the elites patting themselves on the back, and nobody is tuning into those anymore. And I think that this is an opportunity to not also lose money. Um, It says MTV's decision comes days after actress and daytime television host Drew Barrymore shared her decision to pull out of her hosting duties in support of the ongoing strike. I have listened to the writers, and in order to truly respect them, I will pivot from hosting the MTV Movie Awards live in solidarity with the strike, Barrymore said in a statement adding that everything we celebrate and honor about movies and television is born out of their creation, and until a solution is reached, I'm choosing to wait, but I'll be watching from home on Sunday night, and I hope everyone else will as well. There must be something about the name Elizabeth and cultural appropriation. Don't worry, it's not Elizabeth Warren this time. A University of California Berkeley professor has apologized for claiming to be Native American after years of her identity being questioned. Elizabeth Hoover, an anthropology associate professor at UC Berkeley, issued an apology Monday after falsely identifying 
as an indigenous in a letter on her website titled Letter of Apology and Accountability. I am a white person who has incorrectly identified as a native my whole life, based on incomplete information, Hoover wrote in the letter. Hoover said her family claimed to be Native American, and she identified as a woman of Mohawk and Mi'kmaq descent. Hoover said she never confirmed it with these communities or researched her heritage. Hoover began teaching at UC, UC Berkeley in the fall of 2020, where said her identity was challenged for the first time. And in 2021, Hoover's name appeared on an alleged pretendian list compiled by Jacqueline Keeler, a Native American writer and activist. The list included the names of more than 200 people that Keeler said were falsely claiming Native heritage. I interpreted inquiries into the validity of my Native identity as petty jealousy or people looking to interfere in my life, Hoover said. I was wrong and should have done my due diligence in response to those who were only guarding the integrity of their community. Hoover first addressed the claims about her identity in an October of 2022 post to her website where she said she conducted genealogical research to verify her descent and found no records of tribal citizenship for any of my family members in the tribal databases that were accessed. Without any official documentation verifying the identity I was raised with, I do not think it's right for me to continue to claim to be a scholar of Mohawk Mi'kmaq descent, even though my mother is insistent that she inherited this history for a reason. According to Hoover's mother, her grandmother was a Mohawk woman who married a French-Canadian man. Hoover's mother reclaimed her Mohawk heritage as an adult and shared it with her children. She took my sisters and me to ceremonies and powwows as kids to connect us to our heritage, Hoover said. My dad's family said his grandma was Mi'kmaq, which was also something we were proud of, but never quite as close to. A month after Hoover posted the letter, former students demanded her resignation, calling for her to acknowledge the harm she caused, apologize, and stop identifying as indigenous. By claiming a false identity on grant and job applications, Hoover robbed Indigenous scholars of these opportunities, the letter said. In Monday's letter, Hoover admitted that she did receive academic fellowships, opportunities, and material benefits that she may not have received if she didn't identify as Native. As more white women clamor to claim ethnic minority status for personal gain, you begin to wonder if the oppression so many speak of is actually privilege, something to chew on. Biden's approval rating has dipped to a new low. If you thought it could not go any lower, you were wrong. In a poll taken in the wake of his 2024 re-election bid announcement. This was a Washington Post-ABC News survey. Not Fox News, not anything, you know, right-leaning. And it found the president's approval rating fell six percentage points between February and May, with the share of those who say they approve of the way Biden's handling his job, dropping from 42 to 36%. 56% of respondents in the new poll disapprove of the job that he's doing. 
The same share of Americans, 18%, still strongly approve of the president's work compared to February, but the share of those who strongly disapprove went up to 47%. Asked to choose between Biden and former President Trump on who they think did a better job of handling the economy, 54% of respondents said Trump, 36% said Biden so far. Another 7% said neither. Biden announced his much-anticipated campaign for another four years in the White House last month, joining Trump in the race and teeing up what could be a 2020 presidential, presidential race rematch. Already the country's oldest sitting president made his announcement amid concerns about his age. His brief campaign launch video played clips from the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol and warned against MAGA extremists. Pitching the sitting president as the leader in the battle for the soul of America. When your soul is so tainted that your daughter wrote in her diary that you forced her to shower with you, your son has spent the majority of his life paying hookers for sex, smoking crack, and selling our country out for political favors in exchange for cash money for every member of your family, kind of feel like maybe you aren't very responsible and shouldn't be the one who is in charge of anyone else's soul, but what do I know? 36% of Democratic-leaning respondents in the survey released Sunday said that they prefer Biden to get the party's nomination, up 5% or 5 points from February, while 58% said that they'd prefer that the party nominee be someone else. In a hypothetical Trump-Biden rematch, 44% say that they'd lean toward the former president, while 38% say they'd lean towards Biden. Conducted April 28th to May 3rd, the poll surveyed 1,006 U.S. adults, had a margin of error of 3.5 percentage points. For the subgroup of 900 registered voters, the margin was 4 percentage points. That is your everything yesterday, this morning, on a Monday. I hope you guys have a great day. Don't forget to check out that PSA link and I will see you tomorrow. Take care. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.